0: Chapter Twenty Four of Penrod. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Jonathan Burchard. April Two Thousand Nine. Penrod by Booth Tarkington. Chapter Twenty Four. Little Gentleman. The midsummer sun was stinging hot outside the little barber shop next to the corner drug store, and Penrod, undergoing a toilette preliminary to his very slowly approaching twelfth birthday, was at ease of enough to retain upon his face much hair as it fell from the shears there is a mystery here. The tonsorial processes are not unagreeable to manhood. In truth, they are soothing. But the hair is detached from a boy's head, get into his eyes, his ears, his nose, his mouth, and down his neck, and he does everywhere itch excruciatingly. Wherefore, he blinks, winks, weeps, twitches, condenses his countenance, and squirms, and perchance the barber's scissors clip more than intended, be like an outlying flange of ear. Um, uh, ow! said penrod this thing having happened D I touch you up a little inquired the barber smiling falsely oo ah the boy in the chair offered inarticulate protest as the wound was rubbed with alum that don't hurt said the barber you will get it though if you don't sit stiller he continued nipping in the bud any attempt on the part of his patient to think that he already had it poof said penrod meaning no disrespect but endeavoring to dislodge a temporary mustache from his lip. You ought to see how still that little Georgie Bassett sits, the barber went on reprovingly. I hear everybody says he's the best boy in town. Phef <laughs> Pur There was a touch of intentional contempt in this. I haven't heard nobody round the neighborhood making no such remarks, added the Barber, about nobody of the name of Penrod Schofield. Well, said Penrod, clearing his mouth after a struggle, who wants em to ouch i hear they call georgie bassett the little gentleman ventured the barber provocatively meeting with instant success they'd better not call me that returned penrod truculently i'd like to hear anybody try just once that's all i bet they'd never try it. Again. ouch why what would you do to em? it's all right what i'd do i bet they wouldn't want to call me that again as long as they lived What would you do if it was a little girl? You wouldn't hit her, would you? Well, I'd... Ouch! You wouldn't hit a little girl, would you? The barber persisted, gathering into his powerful fingers a mop of hair from the top of Penrod's head and pulling that suffering head into an unnatural position. Doesn't the Bible say it ain't never right to hit the weak sex? Ow! Say! Look out! So you'd go and punch a poor, weak little girl, would you? Said the barber reprovingly. "'Well, who said I'd hit her?' demanded the chivalrous Penrod. "'I'd bet I'd fix her, though. She'd see. "'You wouldn't call her names, would you?' "'No, I wouldn't. What hurt is it to call anybody names?' "'Is that so?' exclaimed the barber. "'Then you was intended what I heard you hollerin' at Fisher's grocery delivery wagon driver for a favor, "'the other day when I was going by your house, was you?' "'I reckon I better tell him.' "'because he says to me afterwards, "'if he ever lays eyes on you when you ain't in your own yard, "'he's going to do a whole lot of things you ain't going to like. "'Yes, sir, that's what he says to me. "'He better catch me first, I guess, before he talks so much.' "'Well,' resumed the barber, "'that ain't saying what you'd do if a young lady ever walked up "'and called you a little gentleman. "'I want to hear what you'd do to her. "'I guess I know, though, come to think of it.' "'What?' demanded Penrod. "'You'd sick that poor old dog o' yours on her cat, "'if she had one, I expect,' guessed the barber derisively. "'No, I would not. "'Well, what would you do?' "'I'd do enough. Don't worry about that. "'Well, suppose it was a boy, then. "'What'd you do if a boy come up to you and says, "'Hello, little gentleman?' "'He'd be lucky,' said Penrod with a sinister frown, "'if he got home alive. "'Suppose it was a boy twice your size?' just let him try said penrod ominously you just let him try he'd never say daylight again that's all the barber dug ten active fingers into the helpless scalp before him and did his best to displace it while the anguished penrod becoming instantly a seething crucible of emotion misdirected his natural resentment into maddened brooding upon what he would do to a boy twice his size who should dare to call him little gentleman the barber shook him as his father had never shaken him the barber buffeted him rocked him frantically to and fro the barber seemed to be trying to wring his neck and penrod saw himself in staggering zigzag pictures destroying large screaming fragmentary boys who had insulted him the torture stopped suddenly and quenched weeping eyes began to see again while the barber applied cooling lotions which made penrod smell like a colored housemaid's ideal now what asked the barber combing the reeking locks gently what would it make you so mad for to have somebody call you a little gentleman it's a kind of compliment as it were you might say what would you want to hit anybody for that for to the mind of penrod this question was without meaning or reasonableness it was within neither his power nor his desire to analyze the process by which the phrase had become offensive to him and was now rapidly assuming the proportions of an outrage he knew only that his gorge rose at the thought of it you just let him try it he said threateningly as he slid down from the chair and as he went out of the door after further conversation on the same subject he called back those warning words once more just let him try it just once that's all i ask him to do they'll find out what they get the barber chuckled then a fly lit on the barber's nose and he slapped at it and the slap missed the fly but did not miss the nose the barber was irritated at this moment his bird-like eye gleamed a gleam as it fell upon customers approaching the prettiest little girl in the world leading by the hand her baby brother mitchy mitch coming to have mitchy mitch's hair clipped against the heat it was a hot day and idle with little to feed the mind and the barber was a mischievous man with an irritated nose he did his worst meanwhile the brooding penrod pursued his homeward way No great distance, but long enough for several one-sided conflicts with malign insulters made of thin air. You better not call me that, he muttered. You just try it, and you'll get what other people got when they tried to do. You better not act fresh with me. Oh, you will, will you? He delivered a vicious kick full upon the shins of an iron fence post, which suffered little, though Penrod instantly regretted his indiscretion. Poof! he grunted, hopping, and went on after bestowing a look of awful hostility upon the fence-post. "'I guess you'll know better next time,' he said in parting to this antagonist. "'You just let me catch you around here again, and I'll—' His voice sank to inarticulate but ominous murmurings. He was in a dangerous mood. Nearing home, however, his belligerent spirit was diverted to happier interests by the discovery that some workmen had left a cauldron of tar in the cross-street, close by his father's stable. He tested it, but found it inedible— Also, as a substitute for professional chewing gum, it was unsatisfactory, being insufficiently boiled down and too thin, though of a pleasant, lukewarm temperature. But it had an excess of one quality. It was sticky. It was the stickiest tar Penrod had ever used for any purposes whatsoever, and nothing upon which he wiped his hands served to rid them of it. Neither his polka-dotted shirt-waist, nor his knickerbockers, neither the fence, nor even duke, who came unthinkingly wagging out to greet him, and retired wiser. Nevertheless, tar is tar. Much can be done with it, no matter what its condition. So Penrod lingered by the cauldron, though from a neighboring yard could be heard the voices of comrades, including that of Sam Williams. On the ground about the cauldron were scattered chips and sticks and bits of wood to the number of a great multitude. Penrod mixed quantities of this refuse into the tar, and interested himself in seeing how much of it he could keep moving in slow swirls upon the ebon surface. Other surprises were arranged for the absent workmen. The cauldron was almost full, and the surface of the tar near the rim. Penrod endeavored to ascertain how many pebbles and brickbats dropped in would cause an overflow. Laboring heartily to this end, he had almost accomplishment When he received the suggestion for an experiment on a much larger scale. Embedded at the corner of a grass plot across the street was a whitewashed stone, the size of a small watermelon, and serving no purpose whatever save the questionable one of decoration. It was easily pried up with a stick, though getting it to the cauldron tested the full strength of the ardent labourer. Instructed to perform such a task, he would have sincerely maintained its impossibility, but now, as it was unbitten, and promised rather destructive results, he set about it with unconquerable energy, feeling certain that he would be rewarded with a mighty splash. Perspiring, grunting vehemently, his back aching and all muscles strained, he progressed in short stages until the big stone lay at the base of the cauldron. He rested a moment, panting, then lifted the stone and was bending his shoulders for the heave that would lift it over the rim when a sweet, taunting voice close behind him startled him cruelly. "'How do you do, little gentleman?' Penrod squawked, dropped the stone, and shouted, "'Shut up, you dern fool!' purely from instinct, even before his about-face made him aware who had so spitefully addressed him. It was Marjorie Jones. Always dainty and prettily dressed, she was in speckless and starchy white today, and a refreshing picture she made, with the new-shorn and powerfully-scented Mitchie Mitch clinging to her hand.' had stolen up behind the toiler and now stood laughing together in sweet merriment since the passing of penrod's rube collins period he had experienced some severe qualms at the recollections of his last meeting with marjorie and his apache behaviour in truth his heart instantly became as wax at sight of her and he would have offered her fair speech but alas in marjorie's wonderful eyes there shone a consciousness of new powers for his undoing and she denied him opportunity Oh, oh she cried, mocking his pained outcry. "'What a way for a little gentleman to talk! "'Little gentleman, don't say wicked—' "'Marjorie!' Penrod, enraged in dismayed, "'felt himself stung beyond all endurance. "'Insult from her was bitterer to endure than from any other. "'Don't you call me that again!' "'Why not, little gentleman?' "'He stamped his foot. "'You better stop!' "'Marjorie sent into his furious face her lovely spiteful laughter.' "'Little gentleman, little gentleman, little gentleman,' she said deliberately. "'How's the little gentleman this afternoon? "'Hello, little gentleman.' "'Penrod, quite beside himself, danced eccentrically. "'Dry up!' he howled. "'Dry up, dry up, dry up, dry up!' "'Mitchy Mitch shouted with delight and applied a finger to the side of the cauldron. "'A finger immediately snatched away and wiped upon a handkerchief by his fastidious sister. "'Little gentleman,' said Mitchy Mitch, "'You better look out!' Penrod whirled upon this small offender with grim satisfaction. Here was at least something male that could without dishonor be held responsible. "'You say that again, and I'll give you the worst. You will not!' snapped Marjorie, instantly vitriolic. "'He'll say just whatever he wants to, and he'll say it as much as he wants to. Say it again, Mitchy Mitch!' It'll gentleman!' said Mitchy Mitch promptly. "'Ah, oh, yeah. Penrod's tone production was becoming affected by his mental condition. You say that again, and I'll... Go on, Mitchy Mitch, cried Marjorie. He can't do a thing. He don't dare. Say it some more, Mitchy Mitch. Say it a whole lot. Mitchy Mitch, his small fat face shining with confidence in his immunity, complied. It'll gentleman, he squeaked malevolently. It'll gentleman, it'll gentleman, it'll gentleman. The desperate Penrod bent over the whitewashed rock, lifted it, and then outdoing porthos john ridd and ursus in one miraculous burst of strength heaved it into the air marjorie screamed but it was too late the big stone descended into the precise midst of the cauldron and penrod got his mighty splash it was far far beyond his expectations spontaneously there were grand and awful effects volcanic spectacles of nightmare and eruption a black sheet of eccentric shape rose out of the cauldron and descended upon the three children who had no time to evade it after it fell mitchy mitch who stood nearest the cauldron was the thickest though there was enough for all brer rabbit would have fled from any of them chapter twenty four